Welcome to Center Ice. I'm Mac Vincent here with Matt Vernon, and this is the November 28th edition. So a lot of news to pass your way. First of all, Matt Murray, the starting goalie for the Pittsburgh Penguins, sustained an injury last night after a collision with Jacob Voracek, and he did not return. The Penguins are labeling Murray week to week, but it's expected he'll miss about two to four weeks. Again, we really don't know because the teams don't really give us a lot of information about these injuries. So Tristan Jari, who played most of the game last night, is expected to start most of those games for the Penguins, but I wouldn't really be surprised if they're looking to acquire a backup goalie that can help Jari while Murray is sidelined. Yeah, they've got Jari right now playing starting role with Murray out, or I'm assuming that's what they're going to do. Uh, but they've also called up Casey DeSmith, right? And um, I'm not sure if you guys remember this, but Casey DeSmith has had a pretty rough start to his NHL go this season. He, uh, I think he's played three games or so so far, and uh, or he's appeared in three games, and he's not done particularly well. He's um, got a save percentage of .800. Yeah, great. I mean, he's they definitely. It's not a question of a want. Like they, they need, they need an experienced backup. And there are guys out there, like like we talked about last show. It just teams don't seem to value these backup goalies a lot at all. So you can get one for next to nothing, a late round pick, you know, a mid tier prospect. And I mean, first of all. Jari is not going to be able to, and this backup goalie is not going to be able to carry the Penguins the way Matty Murray did. So I think right now you have to rely on Sidney Crosby, who's been very good lately, by the way, and he's basically been carrying them the last kind of six or seven games. And a guy like Kessel, Hornqvist, and I think Chris Letang needs to get it going as well because without Murray... I mean, that's a way different team. I saw them play against the Flyers last night, and after Murray left, it was just a shooting gallery. It was end-to-end. There was no sign of defense from either team, and they ended up tying it uh, on kind of a weird goal by Jake Gensel. It went off of his glove and in, a bit of a lucky goal, but he went to the net and got rewarded for it. And then Crosby scored on a nice deflection in overtime. But I think the shots combined were like 45 to 34, which is just crazy. So, I mean, it'll be an interesting kind of moment for the Penguins here because this is not, you know, a one-week injury. It it seems like it could be substantial. And with these injuries, you never know. They say two to four weeks, but he could re-aggravate the injury. And Murray's had injury issues before, Obviously, he was out during that Stanley Cup run, and Fleury took over for him. Um, But I think it has really shown the Penguins that they need a backup that they can actually rely on because I don't think they want Jari up in the NHL right now. They'd rather him stay down with Wilkes-Barre. And, you know, they some reason they thought Niemi was that guy and clearly he has not been he's been with two NHL teams since then and he might have found a home in Montreal where he won't really play other than when Carey Price is injured so I don't know I mean I'm really interested just to see how this team responds to losing Murray and if they make any moves yeah, and just over the next three weeks, Pittsburgh plays 11 games. So they are going to be in for a rough ride if they can't find a solid goaltender. And I know that right now Jari's playing pretty well. He's playing capable NHL hockey, but I don't think this is ideal for him. Um, obviously, it's not a huge detriment, but they I think they'd rather have him playing in Wilkes-Barre. But um, as of right now, he's not playing too bad. Um I think I'd be fine with him starting for a little bit while uh, while Murray's out, but they definitely need a solid kind of veteran pre- presence to um, kind of shore things down back there, give give the team a sense of calmness that they need. I mean, I guess the question is, other than if you can find one of those backups that a team doesn't really want um, that's not injured right now, there seem to be a lot of backups injured 
at this moment. Um, what are you going to give up? There's been talks that maybe the Penguins want to move on from Ian Cole, but I don't I don't know what kind of trade value an Ian Cole gets you. And they're a better team with Ian Cole than without Ian Cole. Let's be honest. I mean, he's a solid defender. And a guy that often gets overlooked in those playoff runs. He blocks a ton of shots, and I think he's a well-liked guy in that Pittsburgh dressing room. So I don't, I don't think they're going to trade Ian Cole. But, you know, they have some prospects that teams might be interested in, and they definitely have draft picks that they can afford to lose. So the question is, like, how many of these backups are available? I'm not quite sure. I'd just like to go back to that Ian Cole talk. Um, I've heard recently that it does seem like they are interested in moving him. He was actually scratched the past couple of games. He's been a healthy scratch um, as they are trying to find a trade partner. I'm not entirely sure why they would trade him. He's played quite well. He's a, Like you said, he's a solid 2-8 defenseman. He's one of those guys that you really need in a playoff run. But um, I've heard some talk... I'm not sure if this is just rumors or whatever, but there's been talk about Ryan Eugene Hopkins from the Oilers heading to Pittsburgh for Ian Cole. I'm not sure the trade value is necessarily even there, but um, I think Ian Cole in a trade for a goalie might be a bit of a bit overkill because mm-hmm. I think there's just too much value in Ian Cole to try to spend it on a backup goalie. I think maybe teams are looking at Pittsburgh now that Matt Murray is out looking to get Ian Cole and the trade before was a Ryan Nugent Hopkins type player now they're looking at it we'll give you a backup goalie and a third round pick or we'll give you a backup goalie and a couple picks to make up for it yeah and I think Pittsburgh has to be careful here because it's easy to make kind of a knee-jerk reaction to this Murray injury and say you know we need an experience backup right now and we're comfortable with trading Ian Cole. I think that would be a huge mistake. And I'm not really sure why they're why they feel they're better off without him because honestly, they don't have defensemen coming up that they can replace him with. And Ian Cole is a very unique player because he plays tough minutes, he blocks a lot of shots, and he plays a lot on the penalty kill. There's not that many players at least defensemen that I know that do that consistently as well as an Ian Cole does. So I don't on the trade market, I don't think the value is going to be great, but I don't think it makes sense to trade him for a backup goalie and a draft pick. And on that Ryan Nugent Hopkins rumor, I think I think the Oilers are probably considering moving him, not because they want to, but because they're in dire need of some depth of some scoring and Nugent Hopkins is a good player and they like him as a second line center but he would probably fetch you a good package in a trade that maybe could help the Oilers right now and you know I don't know we've talked about Peter Shirelli and we don't want to kind of beat the dead horse here with Edmonton but I don't know if I totally agree with it, but at the same time, if the right return is there and it's not, you know, a bunch of draft picks and prospects, then it would make sense for Edmonton. Well, I think Edmonton is kind of trying to do, maybe not necessarily Edmonton, but I think Shirelli is trying to do any, anything he can to keep his job. Um, yeah. But as you mentioned, it, it's, a, it's a weird situation. I... I'm not entirely sure what, A, Ian Cole would return, or B, what Nugent Hopkins would return. But um, those are both teams with serious wants, right? Edmonton wants scoring wingers. They want, um, there's been talk they wanted a defenseman. I think that's kind of subsided now, but I think they need scoring wingers is what they've been talking about recently. And now Pittsburgh needs goalies. So there's... It's, there's a couple teams out there right now that have serious wants like that. Um, I know Pittsburgh and Toronto have been linked together. I'm not sure if that's just media rumors and that. But uh, there's talk that Toronto wants Ian Cole because they're looking for defensemen. Um, are there any other teams that are like that? We're not We're not hearing a lot because the, the thing with these defensemen is 
there are so many teams that are looking for defensive help and the teams that have those guys the teams want right now they're probably unwilling to deal them so we talked about john carlson he's probably not moving until the trade deadline or a bit earlier and it really depends how the capitals are doing so maybe they can justify moving him or if they turn things around and they get a bunch of guys back from injury they'll probably keep him and then they'll lose him in the summer but a lot of teams like i said they want these defensive players and there's just not that many available. So I, I would imagine that there's probably half a dozen teams or more calling the Penguins about potentially acquiring an Ian Cole because there's just not that many guys like that that are made available. I'm I'm a Devils fan, and honestly, the big thing for us all year has been defense. We're looking for defense. And I know on Twitter and basically any website that there are devils fans there are devils fans why isn't ray shiro getting a defenseman because it's not that easy defensemen that's why vegas stocked up on defensemen at the expansion draft they knew that defensemen are a very valuable quantity um obviously they've got a surplus of defensemen there and now i'm i don't know maybe teams are gonna finally start to turn to vegas looking for defensemen um they're not necessarily going to find the the superstar quality defenseman there but they're going to find guys that can play in the nhl top six defensemen that can kind of shore down a team's penalty kill or something so i don't know maybe teams are going to be looking towards vegas ian cole is apparently on the market there's a bunch of defensemen that teams might have available but they're looking at playoff runs right now you mentioned john carlson there Teams aren't going to trade these guys if they're thinking they can win the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's tough to be in. We, we talk about Bergevin and we talk about Shirelli enough because we think that it should be easy to solve the team. Uh, Shirelli actually had a really interesting quote recently. Um, it's kind of a sentiment that's been going around the league a lot, but NHL GMs aren't throwing you life preservers. They're throwing you anchors. The trades that teams are offering right now to struggling teams, they're not trying to help them. They're trying to get good players out of them. Yeah. So when a team, I guess, has a chance to take advantage of that, um, they're going to. Now Pittsburgh doesn't have a backup goalie. Teams aren't going to be looking to help him out. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I mean, it's hard for teams to feel a lot of sympathy for Pittsburgh. They've <laughs> won so many cups and they've got great players. So, I mean, plus, I think they're so far since the new management kind of took over there and um, the Buffalo Sabres picked up one of their managers and he seems to be doing a decent job was that botterill yeah that's right sorry i was forgetting the name and i I think pittsburgh's made some questionable decisions you go to the niemi signing and right now putting ian cole on the trade block when i mean i watch the pittsburgh penguins play and i say they don't need less defense they need more defense (laughs) so there's some questionable decisions obviously with the pittsburgh penguins um and you know there's no easy fix not it's not as bad as the oilers because let's be honest they've got Sidney crosby of genny malkin phil kessel the list goes on but at the same time you're pretty much capped out and you don't really have a lot of players that other teams value that much other than the guys that you're probably not going to move so I mean, it's tough. It's tough to make these moves to improve your team. And I think maybe just a desperation attempt is dangling Ian Cole with the hope of getting a quality backup goalie. Or maybe there's something else going on here because we did hear hear the rumors that, and I think they were legitimate rumors, by the way, that they were interested in bringing in Duchesne. And Ottawa got Duchesne, and there's been mixed reviews of Duchesne in Ottawa so far. So 
maybe they prefer a Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I mean, I just don't think that you're going to be able to convince Edmonton to take Ian Cole and, you know, a first-round draft pick for Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I don't think that's a realistic trade. I mean, could Peter Shirelli do a trade like that? Sure he could because he makes all kinds of stupid decisions. Interesting decisions. Interesting decisions. And Peter Shirelli was quoted today saying the season was death by a thousand cuts. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, who made those cuts? Who made that team? Who made those trades? It is you. Nobody else. It's nobody else's fault. It's you. So, like, I don't know. He, he seems to be kind of a cocky, arrogant type, Peter Shirelli. You've got some suppressed Edmonton Oilers feelings there coming to the surface. I guess it's just talking about Shirelli every single week about the same issues because every week it's something new. There's something that Edmonton is complaining about. They're like, they need defense. They need wingers. They're wondering where did all our scoring wingers from a couple years ago? What happened to them? Where did they go? But I don't know. We are talking about goalies here. Uh, we originally started out, Matt Murray was injured last night. Jacob Voracek was on a breakaway, crashed into him. He had to be taken out for the rest of the game. And Tristan Jerry came in for relief. Now Casey DeSmith is being called up from Wilkes-Barre. I've been thinking about this. Pittsburgh's in a playoff spot right now. They're in the wild card spot. They're playing better recently. Um, not fantastically better, but they're 5-4-1 recently. Um certainly doing better than they were at the start of the season when they were losing big games on back-to-backs. Does Pittsburgh just ride it out? Do they figure 11 games this month? Uh, why would we trade for a backup goalie when we have Jari who could probably play seven of them? Yeah, I, I think they should. And I think it would be too much of a you know, knee-jerk reaction to... And I, I think Pittsburgh will realize that in time that they're better with Ian Cole. And that's got to be tough for Ian Cole because he's done nothing but produce for them ever since they traded for him when he was on a very good St. Louis team. And there's a reason St. Louis traded him. They have a boatload of real good young defensemen, and they just didn't really need him. But ever since he's come to Pittsburgh, he's been really good for them. And the fact that he's the one guy that they're willing to move is a bit surprising to me. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, in a week or so, his name is completely off the market and he's dressing consistently for the Penguins again. I'm looking at his hockey reference page here for all his possession stats. From what it looks like, he when he's on the ice, Pittsburgh gets more shots than the other team. And he's actually kind of unlucky right now. His uh, shooting percentage is much lower than it usually is. Um, so I don't know. He's a guy that doesn't really get a whole bunch of starts in the offensive zone he's a guy that they lean on in the defensive zone he's a guy that does everything well defensively like you mentioned pittsburgh should just keep him yeah keep cole don't trade for a backup goalie matt murray will be back uh you've got jari there already he's played pretty well in his short stint in the nhl so far this year but um yeah pittsburgh's Honestly, I, I've i had enough of Pittsburgh. They've won the Cup the past two years. They can fall off and not make the playoffs this year, and I would not be entirely disappointed. Um, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Pittsburgh's really turned it around. And, uh, I mean, Phil Kessler, has got 32 points in 26 games, I think. Crosby, 25 points in 26 games. Malkin, 21 and 22. These are the guys that score all the goals for them. These are the guys that score all the points. They're producing now. Pittsburgh, just write it out. Don't make any rash moves. Yeah, so we wanted to move on here to the Washington Capitals. And if you didn't see this, Alex Ovechkin had a hat trick um, on Saturday against the Leafs. And with that hat trick, he actually passed Mike Bossy for sole possession of 21st all-time on the goals list. And now just, just to put things in perspective, he needs two goals to pass Mark Recchi and 26 to pass Yari Curry. He's 32, and he still has a lethal shot. And that, I, I don't think 
He's he's very durable. He doesn't usually get injured. And he's now even more of a pure goal scorer than he used to be. So as long as he's scoring 30 to 40 goals, there's no question he's a Hall of Famer. And he could be top five in goals by the time his career is over. Uh, you mentioned that about the injuries, and I, I was like, really? But I'm looking at his page here. The last time he missed more than five games in the season was 2009-2010, when he played 72 games, had 50 goals, 59 assists, and 109 points. He's leading the NHL in goals right now. He, uh, he's at 18 goals right now in 25 games. Wow. Man, every year people have been insulting Ovechkin because Washington can't get over the hump in the playoffs. I've never agreed with that philosophy because Ovechkin is just incredible. Whenever people talk about the greatest goal scorers of all time, it's not it's not a Gretzky's name that comes up, even though he's first. It's guys like Hull. It's guys like Bossy. It's guys like those who just had lethal shots. Um, Ovechkin's up there already. Even if he doesn't have the the numbers quite yet and I think he will we'll we'll get to that in a second but he's going to keep scoring honestly four more years he's probably in the top 10 who knows where he goes from there um but he's just so good his shot is just ridiculous everyone's talked about how Ovechkin scores all his goals on the penalty or on the power play he's got a specific spot and all he does is take shots from there Teams know this. Everyone talks about it. Teams know that. They still can't stop it because it's just ridiculous. Ovechkin is incredible, and I just, I don't know. I like Ovi. I don't really appreciate all the negative talk surrounding him, I guess. And I did want to mention just a kudos to Alex Ovechkin because he has been often criticized, but this is a guy who's really developed into a premier player and a really good person off the ice as well. He did this great thing for um, another Alex, a young boy who is fighting cancer for Hockey Fights Cancer Month, where he took him to the game and he allowed him in the Caps dressing room and he got great seats for the game against Toronto in Toronto. And what does Ovechkin do for young Alex is he scores a hat trick and he passes Mike Bossy. And I mean, CBC had some great coverage of this because I thought it was just amazing. And, you know, I give my kudos to the Capitals organization and Ovechkin for making this happen. And you could see just how overcome with emotion and kind of tears of joy that young Alex had after that hat trick from Ovechkin. And they even showed the post game with the kid in the dressing room and he him just like he just looked so happy being around guys like Braden Holtby and Ovechkin and Backstrom. And it wasn't just Ovechkin that wanted to make this kid's day special. It, to me it was the entire Capitals organization and I just thought it was absolutely amazing. And we've seen some really good stories this month with Hockey fights cancer. Um, bringing this back to Ovechkin, I've been looking at his page here, where he ranks on the all-time list. He's 21st right now. Like you mentioned, he's one away from Rocky. Uh, he's going to catch up to Curry maybe this season, probably this season. Where do you think he ends up all-time? I think top five is doable top but we five don't, would be 731 we don't know how long he's gonna play so i think more likely top 10 but i mean i don't i don't personally see ovechkin as a guy who's gonna play when he's 45 like yarmir yager i see him as a guy that when he notices that that decline is happening and that he's not the player he wants to be that's when he hangs it up i mean i could be wrong but we know how much he, a guy like Alex Ovechkin expects from himself year after year. And he's had a couple tough years with Washington where there were legitimate whispers or rumors about him potentially being traded or whatever, and obviously that was a whole bunch of nonsense. But at the same time, 
I think once he starts to slip in his performance and once he's not the best player he feels he can be, that's when he'll hang him up. When do you think that is? I, I well, He's 32 right now. He's 32. He's playing well. Um, and pretty much all the core players are locked up with the Capitals long term. So, I mean, I could see him playing into his late 30s. I yep. don't see 40s. I think maybe 37, 38, around there. It really depends, first of all, obviously, how healthy he stays. But like we mentioned, he's a durable guy. He doesn't usually get hurt. And, I mean, why would he? He's he's a truck on the ice. So um, I would say he'll probably play till he's 37, 38. And then if things are going well and he's still putting up, you know, 25, 30 goals – Maybe he'll keep playing, but, I mean, it really depends where the Capitals go, and it depends on his health, like we mentioned. But I think definitely a top 10 guy in all-time goals by the time his career is over. Top 5 might be a bit of a stretch, but regardless, I mean, what a heck of a career this guy's had. I mean, one of the best goal scorers in NHL history. It's, It's pretty incredible, and... The story of how he came to the NHL is awesome, too, because his mother was an Olympic basketball player. And the reason he has such a heavy shot is because when he was playing in Russia, he had to use these really heavy sticks. So when you come to the NHL and you get these composite sticks, I mean, the puck just flies off of your stick. So I don't know. I mean... Obviously, I've enjoyed watching him throughout his career. There was a time when he was my favorite player. And then I started to like kind of those two-way players. Like my favorite current player right now is probably Patrice Bergeron. Those are the type of guys that I like. But when I was younger, I used to like the guys that could light the lamp and score lots of goals. And he was one of them, obviously. Okay. Ovechkin has never scored less than 30 goals in a season. That includes the 48-game 2012 season. So I'm thinking he's scored quite well recently. He's on a torrid pace to start the season. Do you think five... Do you think four more years of 30 goals is possible for Ovechkin? Oh, absolutely. I think if, if he stays healthy and he plays... He doesn't even have to play all the games. In my opinion, he can play 40 to 50 games and probably score 30 goals if he wanted to. He's that good. So I think as long as there's no injuries, n- nothing crazy, nothing serious, he can do that very easily. I'm I'm trying to be conservative here, trying to make this as concrete as possible. I'm thinking four 30-goal seasons puts him to age 36. Mm-hmm. Two 20-goal seasons puts him to age 38, which was when I was thinking maybe he starts to talk about hanging them up. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of goals. Yeah. That's 120. That's 160 goals, which bumps him up into the top five all time. Yeah. I mean, that, that to me, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if anybody's ever going to get to Gretzky's goals because you know the amount of points and the amount of goals he had is just insane and I'm kind of convinced that that record will never be broken but regardless I mean these records are very well within reach for Alex Ovechkin and I think what he's starting to realize is that um, it's not just about the player he was but it's about the legacy he leaves behind with him So not only is he playing well and he's kind of more of a team guy, more of a leader than he's ever been, but he's doing these things off the ice, like we mentioned with Hockey Fights Cancer. And he always seems to be doing several, you know, nice things during the season for fans. It really shows the maturity of Alex Ovechkin. I mean, when he first started playing, he was kind of a hot rod uh, and he was great for TV. Um People love to cover Ovechkin, but at the same time, he was a little bit selfish, a little bit enigmatic. You know, he obviously he wasn't married like he is now, and he was known as kind of a punk around the league. But now, I would say the last three years, people have a ton of respect for him, 
and he's really matured, which is really cool for me to see at least. He is a first ballot Hall of Famer. He retires today. I think he goes in the league and in, into the hall automatically. Oh, oh, absolutely. Because not only because of the numbers, but also just the value he had to his team. I mean, you the take value Ovechkin, he had to the league. That too. I mean, you take away Ovechkin or Crosby from the league the last 10, 15 years. I don't even know where the NHL would be because. He opened the door, first of all, for Russians like Nikita Kucherov, Tarasenko, where they were kind of, I want to say, like, toned down by teams. Teams would be very careful about picking them. And I want to say when Kucherov and Tarasenko were picked and people saw how good they were, that's when the, oh, they're going to go to Russia and they're they're never going to play for your NHL team that stereotype started to kind of end and you know teams started to realize that hey there's a lot of really good russian players that we can draft so i think you have to credit ovechkin for helping these young russian players make an impact i'm really not sure you would see a tarasenko or kucherov without ovechkin so is kind of the successor to mcgillney McGillney might have been the first one to come over, but Ovechkin was the first, I'm not going to say superstar, but he was the first player to be drafted number one overall with, like, no regrets. Absolutely. I I, I remember the story. Florida tried to draft him the year before his draft year. There's that talk. They they tried to claim to the NHL that because of leap years, Ovechkin should have been drafted in 2003, and so they tried to draft him in, like, the seventh round or something. That was just how good he was already. People knew he was going to be good, and they took a chance on him because, honestly, at that time, there weren't there was a lot of hesitation surrounding drafting Russian players high, and with Alex Ovechkin, all those fears just dissipated. His rookie season, 106 points in 81 games. Yeah, I mean, like, hard to have a better impact than that. Teams just didn't have that fear anymore and now we're certainly not seeing it at all um there's a little bit of russian bias yeah there there will always be there will always be russian bias and there will always be hesitancy to draft shorter players yeah that will always be there but before ovechkin teams weren't just scared they were petrified they would completely avoid drafting a russian because they just didn't think that they were going to end up playing in the NHL. And, I mean, you think about some great Russian players. Other than Datsuk and Ovechkin, kind of the last 10, 15 years, there haven't been that many of them. And I think the biggest reason for that is that teams just weren't willing to take a chance on these guys. So... um so yeah, that's that's Alex Ovechkin. We wanted to do a little segment on him because a we just wanted you guys to appreciate the all-time records he continues to set and just some of the cool things that he's doing for the NHL and for his fans. Stop being mean to Ovechkin, people. Come on, Ovechkin. Exactly, Ovechkin's a good guy. Figure it out, guys. Come on. We're gonna go from one future legend to Roberto Luongo. Who is, I'd say right now, he's already a legend. Absolutely. Um, he set a record against New Jersey the other night, which I'm not a huge fan of because it involved him beating New Jersey. <laughs> but Roberto Luongo becomes just the second goalie in NHL history to win 200 games with two separate franchises, or two separate teams. So first is obviously Waugh. He, uh, he won 200 with Montreal, and he won 200 with Colorado. Roberto Luongo has won 200 with Florida and 200 with Vancouver. People, I think everybody kind of forgets how good Luongo has been for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I I always, when I think of Luongo, I think of how good he was during his days with Vancouver and Florida. I remember... I mean, this this was a long time ago, but I'm digging deep for this one. 
I watched him play against the Leafs, and obviously the Leafs are my favorite team. So, you know, as a kid growing up, I was like, who are these Florida Panthers? I didn't really know a whole lot about the Leafs. They were a bunch of veterans for the most part. They weren't very good. But the first game that I saw Roberto Luongo play, he played against the Maple Leafs. And basically his team got outplayed the entire game, and the Leafs had close to 60 shots on goal in that game. And Luongo was just saving everything. And I said to my parents, who is this guy? And they're like, oh, that's Roberto Luongo. And I'm like, I like this guy. So I would kind of tune into Leafs and Panther games, not because I was just cheering for the Leafs, because I honestly loved watching this guy play, just the the athleticism. And first of all, he was Canadian, which was there's not that many real good Canadian goalies anymore, and he's still one of them, I would say. Um, so Luongo has had a great career, I would say, because he came really close to winning that Stanley Cup with Vancouver against a stacked Boston team that, I mean, it probably wasn't fair to expect Vancouver to win, but along that playoff run, he had that 73-save effort against Dallas, which was unbelievable. And he did everything he could to carry that Vancouver Canucks team to the playoffs. And he's come into Florida, and sure, he's had a few kind of, I I would say last year was a bit of a struggle for him. He got injured, and he was never really the same even when he came back. So he took the offseason, and he, he, he looks good to me. He looks healthy. And from what I've seen from him this year is, you know, he might be able to get 20, 25 wins with this Panthers team. And, uh, yeah, I mean, people forget just how dominant he was. I mean, go go back and look on YouTube at some of the highlights from his days with Vancouver. Just absolutely unbelievable. He was always one of the top and premier goalies around the league. I mean, the goalies growing up, the Canadian goalies, who did they idolize? Well, one of those guys would have to be Roberto Luongo because he was that good. I remember growing up, my two favorite goalies were Broder and Luongo. Both Canadian guys, both of them grew up relatively close to me. Um, and both of them were just the best at their position. But Luongo's never really gotten that talk. When you talk about the elite goalies in the NHL, Luongo has consistently been there, but he's never gotten the appreciation for it. Um, that kind of stings. This season, he's got a .927 save percentage. Did you know that? I didn't. No one talks about Luongo. Yeah, I mean, it, well, in his defense, the Florida Panthers aren't really a team that people talk a lot about. They're not great. They're not. They have some good players that you would enjoy watching if you saw one of their games, like Vinny Trocek and Barkov and Ekblad, uh, Huberdo. But they're not they're not like a sexy team. They're also people, not a very good team this year. Right. They're they're not so people kind of forget about Luongo. And I mean, I'll be honest, I'm following and watching him play because you know, I just want to see where he ends up on that all-time wins list. But it's unfortunate for him because really, unless he gets traded to a different team, he might get 20 to 25 wins in the next three, four seasons with Florida. And likely his career will be over. So I, I don't know how much he cares about this, but the chances of him passing a Patrick Waugh in terms of all-time wins probably not going to happen if he was on a better team i think very realistic it could happen he's 38 right now i i don't see him playing goalies obviously retire later for the most part um i don't see him playing past 41 or 42 though i i agree yeah he's played almost a thousand games already i think he's third in all-time games played for goalies which is crazy to think about um he's played five seasons in vancouver since being traded back i wow um but 
I don't know. He's one of those goalies that's never really gotten the appreciation. Like, kind of like Lundqvist. Lundqvist has always been Kind elite. of like Corey Schneider. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I, I, I don't know. Luongo and Lundqvist are just kind of bu- above Schneider, which kills me to say it. Well, I'm, I'm, yeah, because they, the, they have the legacy and they have the all-time Yeah, I'm records. not really talking talent right now. I'm talking legacy in case anyone wasn't quite clear on that. I mean, um, Luongo and Lundqvist are pretty much at the same spot in their career. Is the, you know they they really want to provide value to their teams, but at the same time, the teams they're on aren't that good. And usually, if they're going to win when they're starting, they have to carry them. And Lundqvist lately has been doing that, but I'm not convinced that's going to continue all year long. Because it's just hard for a guy like Lundqvist to continue making 35-plus saves every night and not get injured. You know what? I wouldn't be surprised if the, when Lundqvist and Luongo retire, I would not be surprised if the final five and top wins goes Broder, Waugh, Lundqvist, Luongo, and then Belfour. Yeah, that's totally doable. I Lundqvist agree. has 417 wins. Luongo has 459 um, Belfour is in third right now, the 484. Yeah, I both of them we talked about Ovechkin being first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, Luongo's won gold with Canada in 2010. Uh, he's won internationally. Um, I'm not sure if the president's trophy counts for anything when it comes to the Hall of Fame. I don't think so, but I mean, Vancouver was incredible when he played there, and he was a huge part of that. Um, these are both guys that. First ballot Hall of Famers, easily. Um, and goalies just don't get the talk that players do. Um, would you consider Luongo and Lundqvist to be similar to Ovechkin in skill? They are the cream of the crop when it comes to goalies. Ovechkin is the cream of the crop when it comes to forwards. I mean, absolutely. You never hear talk about Lundqvist and Luongo unless it's something bad or if they're injured or anything you don't hear talk about how good they are well i think with with a lot of goalies uh especially guys that are kind of at the tail end of their career you'll see the appreciation come out from the fans and from the media you know the tributes the i think both of them are going to be in the hall of fame etc and people will appreciate just how good they are and how good they've been but unfortunately, I don't think that will be until they retire and when they're in the Hall of Fame. With players, I mean, for example, like, let's take Yarmar Yager just as an example. Everybody knows how good Yarmar Yager is, but I don't know how many people love that he's still playing the NHL at age 45. They're like, okay, you're one of the greatest of all time. We get it, and you still want to play hockey, but, you know... We would rather see Yarmar Yager in his top form than 45-year-old Yarmar Yager. So I think it's a bit of a slippery slope for these guys, <clears throat> excuse me, for these guys that are at the tail end of their career because a lot of the fans would rather see them come out on top than continue playing kind of at a decent level that's not to their expectations, which is I mean, I was really surprised when Yager continued to play. And I think, to me, it was okay for... I mean, it, you know, it's his decision. It's fine if he wants to keep playing. But I don't enjoy watching 45-year-old Yarmar Yager. I got to be honest. I, I just don't. I enjoyed watching 44-year-old Yarmar Yager last year. This year, the Flames, his situation there is kind of weird. He's still putting up points. I think he's basically half a point a game player, uh, which is crazy if you think about it. Um, I don't know. I've got that sense that you've got when it comes to players not retiring soon enough. Unfortunately, I saw it with Broder. Um, the tail end of his career, save for the 2012 playoffs and that when he played quite well. Um, it was rough. Uh his time in St. Louis was horrendous. Um, as a, as a goalie, it was horrendous. Yeah. Um, but the year before, it was rough because we had brought in Schneider, and it was basically Schneider got forty games, Broder got forty two games, 
because we were doing it out of respect to Broder and all he'd done for the franchise. But Broder did not play particularly well that year. Um, he was still my favorite goalie. A lot of fans would have gone absolutely insane if Schneider had been the actual starting goalie over Broder. But I don't see the steep decline with Luongo and Lundqvist. Obviously, they're both quite old uh, in hockey terms. Uh, Luongo's 38, Lundqvist is 35. But right now, except for the fact that they're on teams that Florida, especially more so than the Rangers, the Rangers have played quite well recently. Florida is a very mediocre at best team. They've got high-end talent. They've got a bunch of guys that can score. But the team's not that great. Luongo has played quite well, but he's not getting the wins. Longquist, on the other hand, is playing quite well, and he's getting the wins because New York's a bit better. I don't know. I, I think Luongo's got two, three years left in him. Longquist probably plays until he's 40 because he wants the cup, I think. And I think uh, the other big thing with these veteran guys is they kind of have a duty to honor the contract that they have. So I think Lundqvist will play out his current contract with the Rangers. And whether or not he gets a cup, I, I don't know. But I don't think it's very likely. But at the same time, I mean, what a career he's had. Like, even last year when he just turned it to another level in the playoffs, it was unbelievable how good he was especially against Ottawa and against all the teams New York was playing. I mean, this was vintage Lundqvist. And every year I look forward to that day when I get to watch Henrik Lundqvist in the playoffs because he is just an animal. And lately, you know, he kind of has – he's streaky is what I would call him. He's still very good. He's still a very good goalie, but he has these streaks where he'll play – phenomenal and he'll be stopping everything and then he has those other streaks where it's not so good and he's pulling himself you know that's what happens I think I would say Luongo is a little more consistent in what you can expect from him night after night but they both play for very similar teams like you said you know they're not great obviously the Rangers are a lot better than the Panthers, but the Rangers don't have a great defense. The Their Rangers defense do is... not have a great defense. And so like usually, that, if they're going to win, Lundqvist has to stand on his head. That's just that's how it is. And it's the exact same thing with the Panthers. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I obviously, we both appreciate them a lot, and hopefully you guys do too. But like I said, I think at the end of their career, when they're in the Hall of Fame, you will see that appreciation from people. But right now, it's kind of not there. It will be, especially in the playoffs. I think the Rangers are definitely making it to the playoffs, in my opinion. And you're going to see those appreciation, that appreciation from fans about the way Henrik Lundqvist was playing. Because we saw it last year, and we're starting to see it a little bit this year. But, you know, for a lot of people, it's... And it's, it's kind of unfortunate because this is what happens with a lot of these veteran players is, has he won a cup yet? And to be honest, Henrik Lundqvist came so close to winning that cup, but guess who he ran into that year when it was probably his year? Quick. The Los Angeles Kings and yeah. Jonathan Quick. Like, I think that's probably as close as he ever gets, in my opinion, but... I I don't look at his career and say he doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame just because he hasn't won a cup. I mean, obviously he would love to do that, and he would love to get a cup, but I just don't think it's very likely with that Rangers roster in front of him. And honestly, that whole – when it comes to the Hall of Fame, everyone talks about how you need a Stanley Cup to get in. I don't like that. I think that's especially true when it comes to goalies because goalies – generally stay with one team more so than players i find um when when you examine that i mean luongo just became the second goalie to ever win 200 games to two franchises um 
So especially the high-end ones don't kind of move around as much. But I don't know. I think both – all three, Ovechkin, Luongo, and Lundqvist are all guys that are going to be in the Hall of Fame. And it's 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 interesting looking at players that we've kind of – especially me, I've kind of grown up seeing their entire career. Um, all my hockey watching days have been this era – it's weird thinking about how players I've grown up watching are going to be in the Hall of Fame one day because that's just how consistent and good they've been for over a decade for, for all of these guys. It's, I don't know, it's weird. Yeah, so just moving on to another discussion here. If you guys have followed the NHL Greatest Moments, we have reached the final. And not really a shock or a surprise, but... I would say I'm a little bit surprised with the two that made it. Obviously, I think the favorite right now is Bobby Orr's flying through the air goal to clinch the Stanley Cup for the Boston Bruins. And his competitor is Mario Lemieux scoring five goals five different ways. I mean, obviously, they're they're cool, but I don't know. I feel like there's probably better moments out there, and I wonder how much fan participation they went off versus, you know, the Bobby Orr moment is very iconic. I think the Mario Lemieux one is very unique. But I was a little surprised that, like, the goal he scored against the North Stars didn't potentially make it there because that, to me, was one of them. And like I said, I think when Ray Bork hoisted the Stanley Cup, for me, that was one of them as well. But... I mean, obviously, two great moments, and we'll see who becomes the winner. But, I mean, I think it's going to be Bobby Orr. What do you think, Matt? I I definitely think it should be Bobby Orr. Um, however, I w- probably would have had Bork there over either of these guys. Um, as a biased Devils fan, Marty's 551st win. I uh, would have put up there 552nd win. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know. I I the the Lemieux one has been around for a while, but it's weird to think that's not even his most iconic moment to a lot of people. I think that North Stars goal, people know that a lot better than the five goals five different ways. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll be honest. The first time I heard about five goals five different ways, I was like, wait, what? Yeah, it was. <laughs> oh, it was power play. Penalty kill, penalty shot, um, empty net, and I don't know, something else. But, uh, you know, like you mentioned, there's there's a lot of moments that we can mention. Daryl Sittler's 12-point game. I mean, you name it, there's, there's moments that they didn't even have in the bracket that they probably should have. So I think it's a, it's a cool thing that they did. Obviously, I'm not really sure with why they decided to do what they did in terms of only certain moments are there. And I think a lot of the times you would look at a bracket and you would say, okay, it's this guy against this guy. And most of the time there would be an easy decision for you as the voter. But I mean, I don't know. I I think it's a cool thing they did and I like that they did it, but next time maybe give your fans a little more choice than one choice or the other, maybe accept some write-in votes. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. But obviously they're, they're trying to communicate with the young fans and they're trying to show these young fans, okay, there were a lot of really good players that you didn't get a chance to see. And here are some of the moments that they were involved in. So, you know, it is what it is. But uh, we both think that, Mario, sorry, Bobby Orr will probably win that greatest moment contest. I would like to bring up another leaderboard, though. Today, the NHL has partnered with sportlogos.net. Chris Kramer runs that website. It's excellent. Um, Go check it out if you have an opportunity. But check out the 100 greatest uniforms presented by Visa. Uh, Right now, the top 10 leaderboard goes, well, okay, so... What happens is when you you sign into this page or you just go on this page and you start picking which jersey you like better. Um, And it does this by pitting two jerseys against each other. You click on one of them and you click vote. And basically that's one vote for 
this jersey. I'm not sure if I'm explaining that properly or correctly or easily, but basically you pick what jersey you like better and that gets tallied to the vote. So first place right now is the 1970 to 1996 Buffalo Sabres jerseys. Now I remember these from like um, the Gilbert Perot kind of uh, era. It's kind of like the baby blue kind of what their classic one was. I think that's the same color scheme they did for the Winter Classic against Pittsburgh. Um, so they're first. Number two is Hartford. I, I, I love Hartford Whalers jerseys. Honestly, I love everything about the Whalers. Never got to see them, but from just watching old games and classic games and that, they're number one for me. Number, number three is the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, which was the, um, the original jerseys that they had. Everyone wants them back. It's, um, well, you remember why they don't have them anymore, right? Well, it's the whole Disney issue, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I really, really like these jerseys. There's been a lot of talk online trying to get the team to bring them back. I don't think they ever will or that they really can, but it'd be nice. I really like the jerseys. And then number four is the Nordiques, 1980 to 1995. That's the, um, that's the baby blue and the, uh, the white ones, right? Uh, um, yeah, that's yeah. right. So that's fourth, and number five is actually the Minnesota North Stars. These jerseys, they had them from 1978 to 1981. And it was green with white shoulders and a yellow stripe and, I guess, yellow piping. But, uh, yeah, if you have a chance, go check them out. They've got tons of jerseys here. Um, there's a 100 different jerseys to basically vote for. Um. And it's not just current teams. They've got, I think the the Seals are on there, the Barons are on there, um, the New York Americans or whatever they were, uh, Montreal Maroons are on there, the original Ottawa Senators. Um, so yeah, even if you're just looking to, if you're just bored, go check it out. You're going to see some jerseys that you probably haven't seen before unless you're crazy about jerseys like uh, Chris Creamer here is, but um yeah, go check it out. It's it's super cool. It's uh it's great to see some more fan interaction from the NHL. Obviously, this is probably just because it's the hundredth anniversary, but it'd be nice to think that they're able to keep fan interaction up. But I don't know. This is super cool. Huge fan of this, and uh, go check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of some of those jerseys, I mean, for me, when I saw the Buffalo Sabers Winter Classic uniforms, I was like. I don't know what what they're doing with this dark navy blue thing, but it has to stop. I miss the old colors, and I think most fans would tell you that they do as well. So I don't know if it's going to happen, but I think they should switch back to those old blue and white colors. Yeah, I um, those are definitely my favorite Sabres jerseys. Uh, followed uh, quite con- controversially by the... Uh, the black and red ones. I uh, oh those the, yeah. the swords. I know a lot of people weren't huge fans of them, but I, I I thought it was cool. You don't really see jerseys like that anymore. Yeah, they were they were pretty cool. I'll give you that. So um, to give you the rundown of the top five right now, it goes Buffalo, Hartford, Anaheim Mighty Ducks, Quebec Nordiques, and then Minnesota North Stars. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of tells you something that all of those top five teams are jerseys that are no longer around today yeah i yeah. i think it, it might take some time for a lot of these teams to realize that they should go back to that classic look but i think they will eventually i don't know when it will happen but we saw it with pittsburgh and those jerseys look great we're starting to see it with like the maple leaves i think they started to go back to kind of an old school style as well Chicago's always kind of been pretty similar yeah so Montreal and I think teams are starting to realize how much the fans love these vintage looks and logos so I think you're going to start to see especially when we see those new jersey designs come out for Adidas next year that are kind of more legitimate and teams have more time to actually design their jerseys you're going to see some pretty cool jerseys next year so speaking of Buffalo, on a negative note, for me, they're the start of my bottom five this week. So I've got them, you know, there because 
to be honest, I haven't been very impressed with Jack Eichel this season. Not because of the skill and talent, but the effort level isn't really there for me. I'm not seeing it. Evander Kane's been Buffalo's best player, and now they've got Ristolainen back, so that's good news for them. Robin Leonard continues to prove that he's not a starting NHL goalie, and he's probably a better backup than anything. Um, And I do wonder if teams would pay a price to get Robin Leonard as a kind of really good backup. I think he would make a great backup. Kind of like a 1B kind of goalie? Yeah. Yeah. Like a team that has a young goalie coming up that they're grooming to be a number one, but while he's still learning and while he's still developing, you have a guy like Robin Leonard that you can throw in there half the time. I think he just he doesn't have what it takes to be a number one. He had one really good season with Buffalo, but this year has been a struggle, and the team's not very good either. So Buffalo leads off my bottom five. I've talked about the Oilers at nauseum. They're there. <laughs> they're going to continue to be there. They're there, and they're bad. <laughs> they're there to stay. The Arizona Coyotes are still there, and I've got Colorado and Florida finishing it off. Yeah. Well, my taking the number one spot, the prestigious worst team in the league is the Buffalo Sabres. What a shocker. No, the team's not being great. Um, unfortunately, I have had to watch them a couple times, and it is not good hockey. The defense is bad. The team is not good. It is a rough time to be a Buffalo Sabres fan. Number two, I have Arizona, because although they are getting better and they are improving and they are playing better, they're still the worst team in the league, and they have six wins in 26 games. Um, their their last ten, they are four, five, and one though, so they are turning it around. Kudos to them, but uh, it's still not enough to drag them out of the basement. Edmonton is my third worst team, mostly because they're not particularly great either. They've not played well. Um, for all the star power that they have, they have not performed, and we've talked about this in the past. It's disappointing seeing what Edmonton could have been versus what they are now. Number four, my fourth worst team in the NHL, is Philadelphia. Now, Philadelphia has some elite talent. Uh, Voracek and Giroux are up there in the leading scorers in the NHL. But the team has won three and six in the last ten games. They have won one out of their last ten games. They are eight, nine, and seven on the season. So they started off really well, and they've just kind of fallen apart. So... They take the fourth spot, and then number five, unfortunately, I like the Sens, but I'm going to have to put them there. They've lost their last four straight. They have not played very well in most of those games. Okay, so again, I imagine our top five is pretty identical, so I'll let you take it away. Number one, I think again, I think I had them there last time, was St. Louis, because they're the best team in the league, Uh, not just relying on their first line and just kind of spread out across all lines. Number two is Tampa, because they are basically St. Louis, but with a better first line and a little bit weaker depth, and I value depth over kind of high-end talent. Winnipeg is kind of the epitome of depth. They have depth everywhere. Uh, Their goalie situation is now solved, it looks like. They're 7-3-0 in the last 10 games. Uh, They're 15-6-3 on the season. They're third in the league in points. They've got great defense, great forwards, good goaltending. Number four, I have Vegas. I don't think I would ever put them there to start the season. And I've kind of stayed away from putting them there because I'm not a huge fan of the team. I like the way they're playing, but I don't think that they're that great a team and their roster should not be playing as well as it is. They've won their last five games. They have played, I think, the fewest games in the NHL with 22. Uh... And they've lost seven games in total. That's crazy to me. They're top in the league. They've won their last five. And they're just playing well. I, I didn't think I'd see that or say this to start the season. But um, when Flurry comes back, they're going to have some really tough decisions to make. Obviously, we all know the team that is not 
it's not St. Louis or Tampa or Winnipeg, but the team is playing really well, and I think they can keep playing really well this season at least. And now, for the first time all season, New Jersey makes an appearance in my top five. I have stayed away from putting New Jersey in my top five because I'm hoping not to jinx them. But I've decided to go away with that because their past couple of games has been really good. Um, I hadn't been sold on their defense to start the season, and I'm still not 100% sold on it. But they've really improved, save for last night when they got absolutely destroyed in the first two periods. New Jersey looks like an actual contender. Maybe not for the cup, but for right now, they look like a contender look like a contender to make the playoffs and make some noise in it based off the speed that they have and the solid all-around defense that they're playing. Okay, so my top five is pretty similar. It's a little bit different. Obviously, I've got St. Louis and I've got Tampa Bay. And for me, it was a toss-up here between Nashville and Winnipeg for three. But I watched these two teams play each other and Nashville just shut Winnipeg down. So... I've got Nashville ahead of Winnipeg and then Winnipeg following. And I was tempted to put Vegas in as well because you can't ignore the success they've had. And remember, a lot of that success has been without Marc-Andre Fleury lately. So the Las Vegas haters out there, I mean, this team's good. You know, get used to it. And I've got the Columbus Blue Jackets at five, but I think I'm not really too happy with their play lately. Basically, Sergei Bobrovsky has been saving their behinds quite often lately, but Classy. You know, they're they the talent is there and there are a few guys on Columbus that I think are having up and down seasons like Zach Wierenski has not had a great season, but I have to think that he'll start to figure things out. Panarin has been good. He hasn't been great. Obviously, he's not playing with Patrick Kane. And I did want to mention Alexander Venberg is still injured and has been injured, I want to say, for the last week, week and a half. So that's a big loss for them there. But I was very tempted to put Vegas in here, and I think if they continue to play as well as they've played, they'll probably crack my top five next week. But, yeah, this has been Center Ice for November 28th. I'm Mac Vincent here with Matt Vernon. Uh, You can catch us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and on Sunday, we should have all of the guys in here, and we will be live on CKDJ around 1.10 in the afternoon. Have a good night.